I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Uh, Today I'm going to be talking a little bit about Lyndon Johnson um, after 1963, so uh, following the assassination of John F. Kennedy and the um, experience really um, that Johnson has uh, following the landslide election that um, he wins in 1964. Johnson gets overlooked, I think, uh, because he's sandwiched, he's sandwiched between uh, John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon. Um, you know, if you look at the the kind of the the popular and slightly uh, uncritical views of these two men, it's between you know uh, the prince in Camelot and uh, the unspeakable villain himself, and uh, Johnson is in the middle. And is is rather overshadowed, which is a shame, really, because he's a fascinating character, and um, uh, equally as uh, complex and pivotal in uh, the history of America in the nineteen sixties as either um, Kennedy or or Nixon. Johnson, um, a few basic things that can be said about him is that he's a man of extraordinary um, ambition and uh, obsession and like all the incumbents of the the White House probably similar in fact very much so to to Nixon was fixated on um, arriving in the the Oval Office Um, his uh, role had been that within the Democratic Party had been as the arch political fixer as the Senate Majority Leader he had been the archetypal political enforcer uh, knowing the secret weaknesses and foibles of his enemies and the ambitions of um, other political figures, being able to apply pressure where pressure was needed and being able to cajole, coerce, to black, back slap and to bully uh, when it was necessary. So he's a fantastically able um, political fixer the two um, probably most widespread uh, and uh, widely read biographers of uh, Johnson, uh, Robert Caro and Robert Dalek, they um, both uh, conclude that he was the the most effective uh, Senate Majority Leader 
um, in American political history. But it's also important not to see him completely utterly as an arch-cynic. There was a strong vein of idealism within Johnson, which makes a very, very interesting um, other facet to the man. Uh, Johnson had um, grown up idolising uh, Franklin Roosevelt, and he had modelled his early political career on FDR. He had been um, favoured by Roosevelt, um, in his early career, and he looked upon the New Deal as being something that he wanted to emulate. Um, the New Deal obviously being an unprecedented increase in peacetime state power within the USA in order to rectify the, uh, the economic crisis and stabilise the American economy uh, during the Great Depression. The New Deal was not, um, in the eyes of Roosevelt, a, a blanket and indiscriminate um, use of um, the, the role of the state. Roosevelt was only really interested in um, what worked. He was not uh, an ideologue when it came to um, the, the workings of the state, and the accusation by many uh, of, the, uh, kind of the wealthier classes within America that Roosevelt was some kind of communist or some kind of class warrior was of course nonsense. He was um, entirely satisfied, uh, entirely happy to um, help facilitate the workings of private enterprise and to uh, allow private enterprise um, to, do, um, to be largely unmolested. But he was um, an arch-pragmatist. Johnson's slightly different. Johnson believed by 1964 that the state was able to uh, intervene to an even greater level and that the a, um, economy and society where the state had um, a huge corrective power in eliminating poverty altogether was one that was possible within the, uh, the the span of the 1960s. So Johnson's Great Society was, in anything, if anything, more radical in its vision, not necessarily in its application or its end results, but more radical in its vision than Roosevelt's New Deal. So we have a man of ambition, we have a man of great Machiavellian skill, and we have a man of great vision, of um, great compassion, you might say, um, and um, a great belief in the power of the state to bring about social reform. So it makes no sense, in a way, for um, Johnson to accept the vice presidential um, nomination of the Democrat Party to become um, Kennedy's running mate in the 1960 presidential election. Vice President is possibly one of the most impotent roles in um, American government. Vice President, the really only function of a Vice President, as far as one can, can fathom, is to step in when the President is incapacitated, which um, unfortunately for Kennedy, unfortunately for Johnson, occurs in Dallas in November 1963. But until then, um, it appeared that 
Johnson, based on his ambitions, his outlook and his desires, had drank from the poison chalice. Um, Johnson was um, depressed during the period of his vice presidency. He put on a huge amount of weight. He was always something of a drinker. And it seems to have um, spiralled into full-blown alcoholism uh, during the period of, of the vice presidency. And he um, loses much of the influence that he had as the Senate Majority Leader. Um, the Ironically, within the American political system, the Vice President has nowhere near as much clout. Johnson had very little time for Kennedy. Um, I believe this really uh, changes throughout the Kennedy presidency as they um, work together and become better acquainted. But certainly in the early years of their working relationship together, Johnson viewed Kennedy as nothing more than an unimportant upstart and viewed him in some ways with the same kind of resemblance that Richard Nixon did as a um, Ivy League daddy's boy who um, he and his brother had really been given all the privileges of um, uh, the wealthy Joseph Kennedy's um, experience and uh, largesse um, and had um, done none of the graft. They were not the kind of the hard-working, salt-of-the-earth types um, that, that Johnson was. Johnson coming really from a fairly rural Texan background where um, his family had uh, been supposedly, how, how true this really is, one needs to question, but supposedly kind of real pioneers of the frontier um, in the, the 19th century. Um, they were um, part of the, the kind of the spirit of the West and as um, ruggedly um, American as it's possible to be. And so no wonder he looked upon um, Kennedy with a, a healthy contempt. But he reserved his real animosity, and the feeling was mutual, um, for Kennedy's brother, the Attorney General, Bobby Kennedy, um, who, if anything, despised Johnson back even more. Kennedy, John that is, had asked Johnson to be his running mate, partly out of um, it being a formality, um, and also because Johnson was very useful. Um, he was expected Johnson, by the way, would decline. But should he take the job, uh, Johnson could bring upon bring aboard uh, the Southern Democrats, who were um, a, the wing of the party that were going to be very difficult for the Northern um, Massachusetts uh, Irish Catholic Kennedy with his um, professed liberal instincts to be able to, to tame. The election itself was exceedingly close and Robert Caro points out that um, Johnson was very useful for bringing in the southern states, um, particularly Texas, and because Kennedy wins by a very, very narrow margin, it can be argued that it was Johnson really that wins the day. So it must have been especially galling to Johnson to be surrounded by um, Ivy League types like Bobby Kennedy and his particular faction 
who may, were um, not shy about pointing out the, uh, shall I say, unpolished southern ways and straight talking uh, of Johnson. Um, and this was just one of his frustrations as vice president in that he was unable to, um, he kept trying to extend his powers and wasn't able to do so. He tried to claw back the powers of Senate Majority Leader um, and the Democrat Party um, prevented him from doing so. He uh, hoped to build himself a power base within the White House by having his own vice presidential staff and having autonomy over national security matters, but Kennedy um, prevented this from occurring. So he really was um, a something of a caged beast in the White House. And um, Kennedy knew to treat Johnson very carefully. Um, he uh, said to his staff that here you have a man of immense ego, um, immense um, passion, but incredibly an incredibly brittle um, ego, incredibly fragile, um, and somebody who could be extremely angry and extremely vindictive. Um, so Kennedy, Kennedy kind of had his number. Um, and was able, to some extent, to use uh, Johnson's talents to further his own agenda. Kennedy um, was concerned that um, he couldn't quite trust Johnson, and he needed to make sure that um, Johnson really towed the line and didn't cause him any trouble. Johnson was not only connected with um, the every political figure in Washington who, who mattered, uh, but also every uh, leading journalist and columnist and commentator. And so he could criticise the administration um, without it blowing back on him quite successfully. So Kennedy keeps him busy. And in one area, more than any other, Johnson's activities are tied up. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And that is with the growing issue of civil rights in America. And this is perhaps why we see um, throughout the um, Kennedy years 
uh, far greater efforts and energies put into dealing with the uh, crisis of um, civil rights um, in the South than perhaps Kennedy had intended. It's probably uh, too generous to Kennedy to uh, present him as the the kind of the crusader for civil rights that he's popularly recalled, posthumously kind of viewed as. And the idea that Johnson was a passionate advocate of the cause of um, African-American people is again uh, perhaps overly sympathetic to Johnson. However, uh, Johnson's efforts as vice president and also Johnson's efforts as president in terms of the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act of 65 do yield some of the biggest gains for African-American people uh, during the 1960s. Um, is this because of Johnson's inclinations? Maybe not. Difficult to say. I'm suspecting no. Um, the evidence doesn't really support that per se but it does suggest that it was due to, uh, in large part, to Johnson's activities. Um, and it was, he had an outlet for his energies, he had an outlet for um, uh, legislative um, activity, which is very often not what occurs during a vice presidency. Um, and this is, this is the result. Perhaps if it had been child in other directions, um, other major uh, changes would have occurred instead. And it's really because you have this imbalance between a relatively uh, weak president and an extremely powerful vice president um, that uh, these energies have to be harnessed in a particular way. There was no doubt uh, amongst both Kennedy brothers um, that even though they perhaps were um, wary of Johnson and uh, sometimes perhaps didn't like Johnson, they both had a healthy respect for him, and the evidence of that is the fact that um, John F. Kennedy, before he was assassinated, uh, while he was preparing to run in the following year's presidential elections, said without question that he would have Johnson as his running mate again. So it's one of those great historical ironies, really, that um, Johnson, who had all this ambition, who finds himself in this political backwater um, of the vice presidency, then is catapulted by, by fate, if you will, to the presidency in November 1963, following the assassination of John F. Kennedy. On his return from Dallas, he finds himself in a largely hostile White House and really the, the storytellers, the um, historians, if you will, the first historians of Johnson's presidency were the Kennedy staffers who, um, who saw him step through the White House front door um, the day after the, uh, after the assassination of, of Kennedy. And these were people who believed that um, Johnson had already overstepped his... Uh, position, uh, even though he had been sworn in on an airfield in Dallas, um, by not even waiting um, for an inauguration until um, Kennedy had been brought back to Washington. Um, they believed that he had treated um, Jackie Kennedy extremely badly, 
um, and that he had um, taken this traumatised widow um, who was still covered in her husband's blood, still holding a piece of her husband's skull, um, and um, had her in the photograph while he was being sworn in. The reality is that uh, probably none of this um, was true or fair. Um, he was criticised, for example, for um, uh, commandeering some presidential notepaper, and you know his staff were the Kennedy staff were muttering. You know he hasn't even got the decency to hang on for a, a couple of days before he starts signing presidential decrees. And what he was doing was writing letters of condolence to John F. Kennedy's young children. Um, so. The um, role, the, the position that he's crafted in popular imagination sometimes as being this kind of avaricious power grabber isn't necessarily fair, and ultimately his role is to provide the American people with political continuity um, the moment that something happens to the president, otherwise you, you, know, you wouldn't have a vice presidency at all. Johnson uses the um, outpouring of grief um, and mourning across uh, the USA uh, in order to pass the Civil Rights Act. He says that you know, there is could be no more fitting memorial to the president, no more fitting eulogy than to pass this piece of legislation that he'd struggled for for so long. But he does something more than that. He uses the... Um, uh, grief for Kennedy um, to uh, associate it with his own legislative agenda but he has uh, a strangely kind of divergent um, set of political priorities when he comes to office. The first is to offer uh, an enormous tax cut um, and a reduction of a hundred billion dollars in government spending but the second was to make sure that his new war on poverty, um, part of the Johnson Great Society, was going to um, was going to be a success. He approved the Economic Opportunity Act, and he created which created the, the Job Corps and the Community Action Program, which was designed to um, alleviate poverty um, and unemployment in some of the hardest hit parts of the of the country, particularly in the poor rural south and places like the Appalachians uh, and that kind those kinds of areas. Johnson had inherited a relatively buoyant um, American economy. The period of the early 1960s, uh, up until about 1964-65, um, is the period of time that I think is popularly remembered as one of general... Um, improving living standards, uh, improving affluence, a sense of optimism uh, and a sense that um, America in the 1960s was going to continue with um, powerful growth and being able to uh, resolutely confront communism um, and the, the, the threat of the Soviet Union. The possibility that this all might change and quite dramatically so um, begins, I guess, with the Gulf of Tonkin incident in uh, August 1964, where the uh, US um, in Vietnam essentially staged an incident by sailing two US destroyers into North Vietnamese territorial waters uh, and um, causing the North Vietnamese to fire a 
upon the um, the U.S. ships from torpedo boats, enabling in uh, August uh, 1964 um, for Johnson to present it to Congress as, in effect, an act of war, giving uh, Johnson uh, war powers, in essence, emergency powers, um, the uh, powers that a supreme commander has during wartime, um, and thus allowing Johnson to escalate the war um, up until 1968, when Johnson left office. The um, Gulf of Tonkin incident is the, the moment where uh, America fully commits itself to a ground and air war in Vietnam on a vast scale. And it mirrored uh, general um, trends within popular opinion that believed that more decisive action needed to be taken in Vietnam and that perhaps there had been uh, a period of wavering and indecisiveness under the Kennedy administration. In 1964, in November 1964, uh, Johnson wins the greatest electoral victory of his life. And it's one of the greatest um, landslide elections in American history. Johnson beat his rival, the Republican nominee Barry Goldwater, with a margin of nearly 16 million votes. Um, Barry Goldwater is an interesting character and somebody I'd, I'd really like to return to uh, later on. Um, I don't want to talk about him now too much because this is, this is Johnson's podcast really. But he is the, the really the kind of the founding figure of the modern American conservative movement, um, a, an extreme right-wing libertarian who, um, and in 1964, was far too radical in his views on the economy, on trade unions, on um, civil rights, and everything else um, for uh, American tastes. And the uh, Johnson appears to be a far safer, far more moderate figure uh, as a result. Um, but, um, yeah, I will talk more about Goldwater in the future. The um, next few years for Johnson are one of crisis after crisis, um, culminating largely uh, as a result of Vietnam, but uh, also due to um, a declining uh, economy, um, one that has seen the best years of the 1960s, the boom years, and faces the uh, enormous financial pressures of the Vietnam War, and also the uh, enormous social challenges that are to some extent the result of the Cold War, and to some extent also the result of mass affluence uh, and social change uh, that is coursing through America. And uh, Johnson really gives up in defeat in 1968. Um, he'd intended to stand again. It had always been his dream to be a, a two-term, or in his case, a two- and a quarter-term president. Um, but he has no energy left in 1968 and is kind of a, a broken man. And in some ways, perhaps, a victim of his own success in 1964. Um there's a great book, I recommend you get it, uh, Landslide by Jonathan Darman, about the 1964 general election and the um, fate of Johnson and of uh, the little then little-known um, movie star Ronald Reagan there afterwards. 
Um, and the vision that Johnson had of a, a great society, one that could be largely um, built by state power and state spending and state intervention, um, and the equally fanciful libertarian dream that Ronald Reagan propagates, a, uh, a kind of a, a Reagan, a close friend of Goldwater's, um, of uh, virtually uh, of a completely pared back, rolled back state and individual liberty flourishing and prosperity flourishing as a result. Both fairly fanciful notions and ones which uh, would prove to kind of polarise America throughout the, the, the coming decades. Anyway, I hope you found this useful and I'll catch you next time on the Explaining History podcast. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.